0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, it's a pleasure.
1: Ben, it is fantastic. I'm so glad I can hear the sultry tones of your voice and your quarter zip as your earbuds are brushing up against the collar of your beautiful Under Armour polo. But we're set for a fantastic edition of the Jamie Sports News podcast, recapping the aggressive weekend we had together uh, in Harrisonburg. Then we traveled down, woke up at 5 a.m., hit the road at 6 a.m., To get down to Chapel Hill to watch JMU men's basketball take on the UNC Tar Heels in what was a struggle of a game. But a fantastic weekend nonetheless. But before we get there, we were able to enjoy Three Notch Valley Collab House taking some delicious beers. And uh, Bennett, you tried the sweet potato casserole. I I tried it too. We both tried this interesting beer called the sweet potato casserole. I'll let you handle this, Reed
0: yeah i wouldn't say that it tasted like sweet potato and i've switched i've switched away from the headphones so uh, i won't rubbing in one of any sounds here it'll just be me and my computer but i wouldn't say it tasted like sweet potato but it was it was pretty good um i don't remember exactly the flavors i know it was really good but anyway that's chocolatey awesome. it was
1: There's kind of yeah chocolatey, a
0: little, a little but chocolatey. yeah but it's a good it's more one. like a
1: stout uh, like a christmas stout almost yes
0: so I would check it out. I would try that if you're in Harrisonburg every game day. They also have the $5 exclusive port of Duke of Clouds. Uh, I love it there, and I love it there. It's so cozy and nice. It's just like a good feel. The beers are good. They have everything. Like, they keep their bathrooms clean. Just everything's nice there. It's just like it makes me happy to go there.
1: No, yeah, they always have a good selection. Like, Brothers, I enjoy Brothers, but sometimes it feels like Brothers has, like, all IPAs on tap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't mention the other ones because you know how I feel about some of the other breweries in Harrisonburg, but three notched is my go-to. It's been my go-to. And is that couch new?
0: I can't remember, but it was, it was nice. I didn't remember them having a game console, but I like that.
1: Multiple PS4, oh, and yeah. Nintendo 64, everything. In
0: 2024, whenever they released the new NCAA video game, just go to three notched and uh, fire it up.
1: I was really excited for that to come back, come out very soon, but now it's I mean. not. But you know what is good a good thing? Sports betting. Yes, basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest, and it's always the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, tennis, boxing, even golf. Head to betonline.ag, that's betonline.ag, to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus. So you make a deposit of $100, they'll hit your account with $50 for free. So, just make sure to use promo code BELIEVE. That's promo code B L E A V to receive that 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts.
0: My chair is so creaky.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. <laughs> um, as your chair is creaking away and is going to make some weird noises throughout this entire podcast. Do you want to break break it down right into the Georgia State game and what we saw in Jame's epic comeback?
0: Yeah, you like my background? I
1: thought it was pretty homey for this one.
0: I um, <laughs> so we I know we put in our outline, we put questions at the end, but I want to I'm going to throw some in here. I'm going to work some of our listener questions in early. So this, are, this shout
1: out to all. I think the the listener questions needs a front end shout out though. Yes, every single one of those were ten out of ten. Probably the best listener questions we've ever had. Yeah, it was awesome. They're
0: amazing. So we'll we'll get to some of these here quickly, but they're down twenty points. They've got a case of fumbleitis, which you never want to have, right? It's contagious. You don't want fumbleitis. Muffleitis is even muffleitis. They had just illnesses running rampant through the football team during this game, especially in the first half. They're down twenty points at halftime, even though they appeared to be the better team. Like I still didn't think that Georgia State was better than them, so I was like, "This is disappointing." storm all the way back. And then they almost blew it again with like a late fumble that led to a touchdown. They saw the two point conversion. They somehow recovered the onside kick, which I didn't see happening given all the fumbleitis and the mufflitus is going on throughout the team. Yeah. And how contagious those can be. But they won. It was it was electric, I thought.
1: Yeah. Was that your was that the question was that a statement or was that a question? That was about that, that, that was a statement.
0: But then the question <laughs> that kind of goes off of that from Patrick McGrath is how crazy was being at the Georgia State game in person. It was already a wild ride on TV. Can't imagine it in Bridgeforth.
1: It was a very... Sorry, that was a very... I was trying to... It was a something. good
0: pause. It was a good long pause.
1: <laughs> it was insane. Like, the it wasn't a packed house, which I think almost made it better. And we'll talk about the game day experience in a little bit. But, like... When it's whatever the announced attendance was, let's call it 17th, and let's call it 19,000 for that game, those are like the the fans that enjoy going to the games. And I'm not trying to throw shade at like a Marshall sold out 25k, but like when it's 19,000 in the middle of November, those games and all those fans are just so into it that it's so much fun. And then when you get down, you're sitting around and you hear everyone. They start like clamp. They're like, what's going on? Why aren't we passing it? What's happening? And everyone's starting to get uneasy. And then the third fumble comes and then you're down 20. And Signetti sitting on his hands before halftime and not trying to push down the field. The entire section we're in, maybe it was just us being really loud. But we're (laughs) booing JMU as they come off the field. Or more so, booing Kurt Signetti for just sitting on his hands, not wanting to try and do something going into halftime. And then the, the the momentum shifts, and all of a sudden JMU comes out and starts the third quarter with a bang. And then you you kind of have this hope, and then then they stop Georgia State with a third down sack, and you're like, oh, like this is very real. Then the offense gets it back, and then they don't score, and they have to punt it away, and you're like, okay, it's going to be one of these games. You're, you're going to be around fourteen points, maybe cut it to seven. Always have this hope, but never fully get it. But then the like kind of the floodgates open, and and just I remember the go ahead touchdown just the insane cheering that just happens where you're just like jumping up and down. You're like, cause there was never a point where you're like, this game's completely lost. There was always a little bit of hope, but when they do cap off that comeback and, and finish it off and, and take the lead, you're like, they actually did it. And this is their second 20 point or 20 plus point comeback this season. This team shouldn't have gotten them gotten themselves into these holes, but man, oh man, is it fun to watch these teams have these comebacks. Yeah, I mean, it was was
0: one where like they they should not have been down twenty. So you look at like the final box score. Georgia State finished the game with nine first downs. They had two hundred and fifty seven total yards. Um, They ran twenty two fewer plays than JMU, but they had two fumble returns for a touchdown. Another short field that led to a chip shot field goal. Like JMU was just shooting itself in the foot consistently throughout the game, especially in the first half. And then the Dukes rallied. They played a cleaner second half. And they were clearly the better team. Senteo was a huge mismatch. Uh, they Chris Thornton was a big mismatch. Like they, they weren't really able to stop people. Even Ravenel, I know we had talked about him maybe needing to step up a little more. And he did in this game. He had a really nice game. So like they just had so many guys offensively that were tough to stop. And then even defensively, the defense played well. It was just offensively they had too many weird mistakes with with fumbles. And then on special teams, I think that's maybe a larger conversation is the special teams. Um, it's not a weapon anymore, but it was a massive liability at times in the game.
1: Yeah. And no, I will get into special teams <coughs> in a moment. The seeds of my smoothie went down the wrong pipe. We'll get into special teams in a moment, but just to to touch on the mismatches across the board on offense. And I think that's why it felt so different from the first half to the second half, where in the first half you saw these explosive opportunities from the JMU offense that you were like, we're clearly the better team. Centeo is carving them up. I think he started the game 13 of 13 for 100, nearly 200 yards and like looked good. Mm-hmm. And then in almost key moments or, or in moments where you expect them to throw or want them to throw, like they brought down the safety to stack the box, things of that sort, they're running it and, and you just kind of felt like what, what is what's going on? Cause they have the, you could just run four verts. Essentially. You could go into your Madden playbook and, and just call that and, and Thornton will probably beat the defensive back each and every time. And it was just, I kind of lost my train of thought there. You keep going in and out on, on your side with video. Um, (laughs) I don't know what you're doing over there, but (laughs) it was just a really fun game. And then the defense came up really huge when it needed to, I'm going to call it a shutout. They pitched a shutout in the second half. Um, They were put into like a nearly impossible situation with the fumble and then all you do, do what you need to do. You don't let them score eight points. You hold them to a touchdown. I'm going to call it a shutout. That defense was out of just otherworldly. Devin Coles, an absurd fumble fumble recovery and forced fumble. I don't know if you can call it a fumble. He, like, took the ball from yeah, it was awesome. Granger, and it was amazing to watch. And it was right when the Dukes needed it. I mean, just complimentary football in every single facet of the game between the offense and the defense. And then special teams, an insane liability. I don't think I've ever... What, there were points where Surratt, Surratt, however you pronounce his name. I, I don't like our PA announcer, and we'll get into that a game day experience. Um, <laughs> j- Just like put 11 guys on the line of scrimmage and try to block it. You don't need to have someone back there to try and catch that football. And there was one time where <laughs> Surratt doesn't even try and catch it, but I think it was Devin Coles. It was Coles, yeah. <laughs> not even engaged in a block, runs into the ball. Thankfully, he comes away with it. But like, there were so many moments where you're just like, I don't think this special teams can get worse, and they got worse.
0: I think what stood out to me, like like an incredible amount, is is obviously the atmosphere was really fun being there, and and, and part of that was sort of the sarcastic cheers and things when when things weren't going well in the second quarter. So at one point, they had muffed however many kicks in a row and had some fumbles. And then when they let a kick go out the back of the end zone, there were a good chunk of fans who threw streamers just that they hadn't muffed a kickoff, which wasn't even like punts for some of it was kickoffs, which is incredible. Like there's no one breathing down your neck, right? It's just you and the ball. And if you drop it, you've got a few seconds to get it. And they were still struggling
1: with it, which I thought was um, borderline funny. But the, the way the crowd reacted was, sorry, go ahead. Just what about the one muff punt? where like there is no one around again. And then the yes. per- I forgot who re- jumped on it, but like was in slow-mo to jump on it. Like, so yes, no, yeah. like, no, like let's get it, let's get it. It was just like, oh, there's the football. Let me get just the right way and falls on it. But yeah, sorry, no, no, I like,
0: like he positioned his body, like angled it so it'd be a comfortable fall on top of it. And I was like freaking out. But it was, it was fun to be in our section and have the fans freaking out, but then also experiencing the comeback. And I think some of it sort of speaks to, There was like belief in the standstill, I think, with the fans. Like, we can come back and win this. We're a really good team. And it's because JMU is a really good team. Like, to be able to make that many mistakes, and I know Signetti talks about the lack of depth, which I think is in a certain way fair. But at the same time, they're really good. Like, they can shoot themselves in the foot, be down 20 against like a respectable Sunbelt program that's fighting for bowl eligibility and now can't have a a chance at it. But they are fighting for it. They needed their last two wins, right? And we're in the, down 20 points. And I think everybody still believes that Jamie, you can win the game because they're loaded. Like they're loaded with talent on both sides. It's like in the second half, you're going to have to score, you know, at least 21 points. Yeah. And the defense is going to have to play really, really well. And everyone's like, well, they can because the defensive lines, unbelievable. The linebackers are both like power five caliber linebackers. The quarterback is a stud. You go like three to four running backs deep. The offensive line is awesome. And Chris Thornton is a major mismatch. Like they're so good, and I I hope that we like appreciate that. I know some of the losses. It's like, oh, they could have been better. But for year one of a full FBS transition to be seven and three, to be good enough against two division opponents to get down twenty points and come back and win, like
1: one on the road, football team. And one of those was on the road in a very hostile environment. And it's also like you, you mentioned how in the in the stands there was still this belief. And I don't think anyone was just completely out on the game. I remember telling you at one point, I think right before halftime or during halftime, something like that, where it's just like if they pass the ball, like hopefully this first half shows Signetti – that if they pass the ball, they will be able to get into it and being down in this big of a hole, they'll have the opportunity to just pass it and exploit these mismatches. They're stacking the dot, the box. They're bringing seven, eight guys they are playing one high safety. Who's cheating over to the right side, leaving a one-on-one matchup with whoever was like the, the single receiver on that side. Like, take advantage of that. And then the second half, what'd they do? They took advantage of that. They exploited the mismatches. And then that opened up the running game. Percy had like the 30 yard touchdown. That was absolutely fantastic. Kalon black looked good. Percy outside of that other touchdown looked really good. Todd looked good when he ran it, especially on that. What was it? Third and 10 QB keeper on the RPO where he goes for the first down and picks up 15 yards and ices the game and wins it for him. Like, you run to set up the pass, but sometimes you have to has, also have to pass to set up the run. But, yeah, this team's really good. I mean, from top to bottom, left to right, the defense is one of the best units in the nation. They didn't let Georgia State run the ball, which was absolutely amazing to watch. There was a jet sweep, 75-yard touchdown. We'll call that a pass, so that makes the rushing numbers look a little bit better. But, like, for the most part, outside of one bad break, which was a Darren Granger— QB rush touchdown. That was like a 35 yard touchdown or something like that. The defense played an, an exceptional game sacks when they needed them, held them, held their rushing attack to nearly nothing in the second half. It was, it was really good to watch. And yeah, I, I hope we don't take it for, for granted. I think, and I don't think Jamie fans are, I'll say that. No, I, I, so. I I don't think any Jamie fan is like, bah. I think there's, if there's anything. They're more upper. so the other
0: way. Proper appreciation for the most part. I think that appreciation wanes a little bit when they do lose, though. So, like, there was a stretch in the season, I think, understandably, and I think we were part of it, where we were yeah. frustrated with I was more so
1: upset at the offensive play calling than
0: – Yeah. It's just like, man, they're really capable, which is cool. Like, you mentioned the the Percy 36-yard touchdown run. Came after Chris Thornton made a cool adjustment, but then dropped the what would have been a touchdown oh, pass.
1: Th- that was a per- – Perfectly adjust, not a great pass. Todd Tail kind of missed them all, but Chris got back to it. Oh, that was spectacular! If he came down with it, spectacular.
0: That's what uh, my dad was teasing me today at dinner because he was like, "How the two of us were so excited because my dad was also at the game. How we were so excited." And he was like, "He did, he did drop it though. It wasn't a catch." And I was like, "That's <laughs> that's a fair point." So I was like, "What a play!" And it's like an inclusion <laughs> But, but so I think at that point. Not, it's a touchdown, and then the next play is actually a touchdown. It's like, oh, my God, what an offense, you know?
1: Yeah. That was also – were they down at that point, or was that to go? Uh,
0: well, that's a good question. Let me confirm so that we have that correct. His Because I think that
1: – His touchdown run put him up a point. Oh, that put them up a point. Yeah. So, okay, because – if, yeah, I don't know why we were so hyped about that Chris Thornton near cat, probably because we were riding the <laughs> high of like this comeback that's actually happening. And we're like, whoa,
0: <laughs> I think so, too, is because when from our angle, when the ball was released in the air, I was like, oh, that's going to miss him. by five. I guard. thought it was an
1: interception, honestly, because yeah. there's two two DBs there. And I'm like, oh, the second one's going to adjust to this and catch it like a punt. Yeah. So that was,
0: that was quite the stretch though. I mean, I was just really impressed. Like they have a good team. Obviously they made a ton of mistakes in this game (laughs) to make it a game. Like they could have won by like 30, but the (laughs) fact that they came back and won, I think was really cool. And um, it it makes this week, I think all the more exciting, right? Obviously.
1: Oh, 100% this week is going to be a blast. Just a real quick recap of some of the uh, statistics. Yeah. You brought them up earlier. They held Darren Granger to eight of 15 passing and he rushed for only 25 yards um, after losing 22 yards because of sacks. Senteo mm-hmm. was 21 of 27 after starting 13 of 13, 274, four touchdowns, a long of 62 yards. Terrence Green led the way with uh, 81 yards in receiving. Chris Thornton had four catches, 68 yards. Devin Ravenel, five catches, 35 yards. I mean, overall, that was just a really balanced attack in the second half that was absolutely amazing to watch. Um, but, yeah, it's going to bring up a fantastic game against Coastal. But before we get to Coastal, I, I want to get touch on this a little bit um, yeah. because I know fans were kind of – I don't know why I post it like that. Fans were upset at other fans after the Marshall game and throughout the season and for years about not staying for the entirety of the game. And I never really could truly be part of that conversation. The MRDs freshman year then I worked for Athletic Communications for sophomore, junior, and senior year – and so I really never attended games as like a, a student or a fan. And this was my first time doing it. And that Bridgeforth experience is not good. It's not great.
0: It leaves a, a lot to be desired in terms of like very basic stuff that you would like to have go well.
1: Yeah, and I think that juxtaposition to what we saw in ODU, and I'm not saying the ODU game day experience was like A+, plus, but it was like a solid B and yeah. like was good. I didn't have to wait more than five minutes for an alcoholic beverage or a water or food. Um, the only thing I had to wait in line for was the bathroom, and I didn't have to wait in line for the bathroom at Bridgeforth. But like I had to wait an hour in line for a beer or an hour in line for concessions, which you'd have to go to two separate lines to get because you can't buy beer at concessions. On the Godwin side, which we'll reword, there was only one – like there's a snack cart and then like a quote-unquote concessions cart, both of which had 30-minute to an hour line. Like the lines are insane. There's not enough places to buy beer. Like I get why people leave, and I get why their people aren't in the yeah. stands when you have a sellout. Like because they're all standing in line to get beer because you only let them do it in two spots.
0: Yeah, they got to find some ways to improve it. And I, I was cracking up, too, because the next day we went to North Carolina for the men's basketball game. Right. So we're we're in the the Dean Smith Center and we're we're getting our food and we get in the line and it's a grab and go. Like you just grab your sandwich and then get to the checkout or whatever. And I was like, do I grab these or these are these for me to grab? <laughs> Where I was like confused that there was like a grab and go, because like the day before it was more of like a a wait in line. And you had like, you know, There's we got in early. There was like, yeah, there was like nobody there when we got in. It was still like. Four people there somehow had their hands on like my high chocolate as I got it, and I was like, "That did not seem efficient." So it's I don't know. <laughs> they'll, they'll have to find a way to improve that because that's a big one too. If you're talking about why aren't people going? Obviously, students are are free, but if you're looking at students, it's it's pretty easy to get cheap beer in Harrisonburg at a party, and you can even watch the game. And even if you're not a student, right? You're coming from out of town. Um, if you can watch it very easily on ESPN Plus or whatever. This week on ESPNU, which is pretty cool. Um, It's not necessary. I mean, you don't have to like go to the game, right? You can still have a really cool game day experience with friends not going. So it's it's a challenge, I think, for JMU staff to make people to want to go because it's so easy nowadays to watch a game. Like my freshman year, I had to pay $6 for like an Albany stream. And the guy was like filming it on his phone. I'm pretty sure sometimes he would like randomly text and just turn his phone. You like miss three plays. So like it's changed a lot in terms of being easier to watch. So to make people want to go, you've got to hit things like concessions, which I know some other fans have obviously talked about after the Marshall game and things like that. But yeah, it's it's one that can improve and I'd like to see it improve because I think if you do tweak some of those things, you can definitely incentivize people a little bit more to to stay and, and go because if you can grab a couple of beers pretty easily, I think it makes it a little bit more enjoyable.
1: Yeah. And I hate complaining without having a solution. So here I'm going to pitch you my solution. You tell me if you like it. You ready? Go for it. Tear it all. Not literally tear it down, but start from scratch. Sweet. (laughs) Tear down Bridgeforth and rebuild it to be exactly like lane stadium. (laughs) Uh, And then from there we have enter Sandman when you enter the stadium and you hit a hokey stone. And is that too far? No. So tear it down. And I don't mean literally, I mean, just like bring everything down to bare bones and then build it back from there. What you need, one, are more concession areas. I think you need at least one more, like actual concession stand on the Godwin side. And then you can have your two on the main side. I prefer a third somewhere, maybe on the ground level, like in the gravel area, um, where you just have like maybe that one's just popcorn and stuff like that. But the main thing to me is you need more drink stations. For sure. At ODU, there were just like the little fair stands, you know, like the little. Yes. five pound thing that you can just put in the dirt and you call it a Mm -hmm. day and you have a cooler and you're good to go Mm -hmm. you just need like 10 of those you need like five on the godwin side and then maybe more on the other side also there might be concessions on the second levels and like the 300s i've never ventured up there but like you just need more drinks and i need to be able to get beer at not one of the two beers I, don't, I should not have to still have an X on my hand because I need to get X like I'm going into a frat party to show that I'm of age. Just ID me every time I buy a beer and sell it at every concession stand and every beverage stand. I don't get the point in me having to wear a wristband. If I'm not responsible with drinking, so what? Like ODU had none of that. I've never experienced that at any other college where they monitor how much you're drinking. Guess what? You can sneak liquor in. You can drink 15 beers pregame and get belligerent in game. It doesn't matter if I'm only allowed. Right. I'll get off my, so- my soapbox. No, that's, that's
0: so well said. And people, and not
1: us, but people. <laughs> people. Would, I would mean, people drink. around us were drinking Baileys and bourbon, putting it in they their hot cups. airplane
0: cup. People around <laughs> us and not us snuck in airplane bottles, Jack, and it wasn't us. But people. <laughs> Like, it's, it's just ridiculous to say, like, the, that you're doing it for, like, safe drinking reasons when it's, like, people pregame hard and some of the reason that they leave is because, like, their pregame buzz wears off. Like, if it, the drinking culture at JMU is, like, a bigger thing that they could look into if they want, you're not fixing it by putting a little X on someone's hand. Especially when – I'm leaving the game like instead. Also, beers.
1: the fact it's an hour wait for a beer. Like, I'm yeah. not joking. It was, like – Two, the two different lines, both were like a hundred people deep. Either be better at serving beer at a quicker pace or like if you're gonna give me a wristband, here's an idea. if we if we're so hard if we're so if we have such a hard on for wristbands, right let me prepay for a wristband with my ticket that gives me four beers throughout the game. And then yeah. I can just redeem without having to pay through. If you're so hard on for wristbands, let me prepay for my beers. So I don't really have to wait in a line. It's just grabbing. Yeah, yeah. But, it,
0: it,
1: but at the end of the day, the wristbands are stupid and you selling me, I can only drink four are dumb also because I'm not me personally. And I'm a heavy drinker at sporting events. I'm probably not drinking four beers because it means I have to miss part of the game to go wait. And even if it's a 10 minute line, I have to wait in a line and I'm missing game action. Like, it, I also don't know how many. I know I've heard that a lot as a concern. And like, even at UVA,
0: there was like concern, like when they added things. I don't know how many people are really going to like a football game and just chugging beers. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's like an actual, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't drink like 10 beers. Like, I don't know. If you're there, there's typically a, enough of an interest that you're not going to just like go insane. And I think some, the people that like, do get like that, aren't ever doing it at the game. Like they usually show up like
1: that. And then they continue drinking and they get yes. worse and worse and worse. Like, yeah, if if you're worried about people being belligerent in the stands, maybe have RMC actually do their job. There was a person literally passing out in front of us because they pre <laughs> too hard and RMC did nothing about it. And I'm not complaining. Like, good for that person. Like, pass out all you want. I don't care. But, like, don't don't say, woe is me. I'm worried about student safety when what appeared to be a student in front of us was belligerent, passed out, and talking to a cop who thought he was a brick wall. Like, don't complain that you want student safety because of drinking and then give me a terrible game day experience because you're concerned about something you're not actually concerned about. Sorry, I I didn't mean to turn this into such, like, a... I love that. You're fired so bugs. I, I didn't mean to get so fired up on this,
0: but I think there, I think there are things they can do and it'd be cool in the off season. If there was some like meaningful shifts to, to make that happen. I saw some people were even tweeting. I think, um, I think it was like evangelista and maybe some others that are, they go every week and they obviously understand <laughs> how to get into the football game. They still had to wait in a bit of a line. Like their season ticket guys who are diehards. So like if, if even they're having a tough time with like, Hey, these lines getting in are tough. When those are your like legitimately biggest fans, that seems like, okay, maybe we should look into like getting people in, giving them a better experience. because like those people are going to show up no matter what, but like make it nice. And then other people, some other people are also going to come. So room for improvement there for sure. Cause that was one where I enjoyed the game almost sort of despite some of those other things.
1: Yes. Also, the way they do lines, at the concession stands, instead of like having one long line that goes to like how most concession stands at stadiums, you have one line that goes to the 16 registers. They have 16 lines all going straight back right into the walkway. So Incredible. when you're walking on the main concourse, excuse me, sorry, I'm not trying to cut. Excuse me, part. Sorry. So sorry. I'm trying. I'm just trying to get through. And then you walk through the concourse, which should be like a minute takes like 10 because you're like playing like a maze. Um. Yeah. Also, last part on this: play music during the Do ta- play music during the coin toss or something, mm-hmm. or or do something where I'm not listening to silence for two minutes pre-game. And then also, I lied. This is the last thing. Let's change the song from 2013. Macklemore can't hold us to. I don't know something from the 2020s. Because as cool as that was my freshman year in 2015, it is now 2022, seven years later, and I'm still listening to, like, the ceiling can't hold on. No. <laughs> <laughs> Return to the Mac. No, I don't want to hear Return to the Mac for that. again. Come on. Give me something new. That's such a good
0: point. And I, I will say, since we were ranting a little bit here, even though it's a very positive weekend overall.
1: <laughs> oh, other, great weekend. Whole- I mean, this was an amazing weekend. <laughs> The one thing I will say
0: that they did well, that they they had those like clips of the players that were like trying to get you hyped when they were on yeah. defense and stuff, but, like make noise. And at first, like a lot of people were kind of laughing at them too because they would come out of nowhere. Sometimes and you'd be like, oh, that's silly. But then yeah, everyone would make, And you're like, what? Yeah. People would actually make, those were like good reminders that like, hey, this play matters. And especially as like the comeback was building, they yeah. would play them more often. It was a great way to get people like going. Because especially even when you're not like a, and JMU doesn't really have, like, a diehard fan base quite like, you know, Ohio State or Penn State or whatever, where it's kind of built in that, like, we should make noise in the second half of an important conference game. <laughs> there are certainly times where you can kind of get locked in. I know at some JMU games there have been people who are like, why are you standing in front of me? I want to be sitting the whole game. There, there you know were what I mean? moments like, of that. Of this like, game. that kind of stuff. Where How are you standing? It's like, because this is, like, a, what football fans do sometimes. So, like, to have them doing that where it's, like, an excuse that, like, hey – they're asking us to make sound, and it's not. It doesn't seem just like you doing it. I think is actually sneaky important to like getting the crowd up.
1: That's a fantastic point. Also, another really good thing that the game did was the pregame video, the hype video. Like yeah. before they ran through the tunnel, ten out of ten. If you haven't experienced it, get down to Coastal for that, or get down to the Valley to watch this Coastal game because it was a fantastic pregame hype video. Yeah, don't go to Coastal games in Bridgeport. That'd be tough. <laughs> Yeah. Don't go to, don't, don't 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 go to Conway South Carolina for that game.
0: But no, it was I think there were some real positives, but yeah, if they can change some of those other things like concessions related, it would it become a just an incredible game day experience, I feel like.
1: Yeah. Cuz the pre-gaming is fun, the the tailgating, I should say, not the pre-gaming. Yeah. The tailgating's fun. Same thing. It's a fantastic it's a fantastic stadium. Um would like a ribbon board, but you know, that's down the way that's it. Yeah, that's
0: another one that I think for the future, right? Just some more down in distances scattered throughout, more so more I'm not looking modern. up
1: like this when mm-hmm. the play is that way. But yeah.
0: But for the most part, heck of a time. And the fans that were there, I know it wasn't a sellout. I thought were really engaged. Yeah. It was it was good. It was just ten out of really, ten fans. The atmosphere. Uh the other thing I will say is like on ESPN plus, especially, uh, the atmosphere does not usually carry through that well. Like being there, I thought the fans made a huge impact. And then watching some of the highlights, it didn't seem like the crowd was going nuts. Um, But the crowd was awesome throughout.
1: Yeah. Uh, An announced attendance of 20,055.
0: My last point. My last point on game day attendance. I had not been to the game since 2019. Same. And I very much forgot how funny it is. When the streamers fall over the visiting bench, like on the players, I thought, that <laughs> was especially a- in the midst of a twenty point
1: yes. comeback, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like they're just fuming that they're losing the lead as they get just crushed with streamers that they have to rip off their bodies. Some of the players it really bothered, and they would get upset. It's just like one of the funniest traditions because it's one where it's baked in enough that it's something that's like this is what JMU does. Where anywhere else, if <laughs> they're like throwing things onto the sideline, be like. You have to get out of here. But in this one, it's like, yeah, just see if you can throw it far enough to get him. <laughs> so obviously it's soft, right? It's like a paper ribbon. So it's not like we're throwing beer cans. But it was still um, pretty funny when it was getting on.
1: It upset one Georgia State player so much that he – I don't know what he threw, but he threw something at a JMU <laughs> fan as he was leaving the field. Um, Georgia State started waving to all the JMU fans like at halftime like, bye, have a – up 20. Okay. I guess, but like a little bold of you to do that. So of course I think a large part of the student section started waving at Georgia state when they lost and um, Georgia state did not take kindly to that whatsoever. One guy had to, (laughs) one guy threw stuff. Um, A few of them had to be like kind of held back and like pushed towards the tunnel correctly. So they didn't like go after a JMU fan. My, my thing on that you're four and seven, you lost to Charlotte earlier in the year. Who's in the, one of the most up and down, one of the most turbulent, top, terrible. You lost one of the worst programs in all of the nation. And you blew a 20-point lead. And you were talking that talk. For first off, you had no reason to talk that talk. And when that talk comes back to you, Georgia State players, if you're listening, come on. Come on.
0: It was, it was pretty funny because, they yeah, at halftime, they were pretty darn confident as the game sort of switched and the streamers were hitting them. It was obviously a different tone.
1: Well, moving on from Georgia State, it's time for the um, Sunbelt East title game, de facto title game, as number 23, Coastal Carolina, comes into Bridgeforth. ESPNU Saturday at noon. It's going to be what looks like to be a pretty solid game. Coastal, though, will be without starting quarterback and one of the best players in all of the Sunbelt, Grayson McCall. What are your expectations to see out of the Chanticleers this, uh, this Saturday?
0: They're still good. Like even without McCall, they're obviously not as good. The thing that that I guess gets to me is I thought they were frauds, like for sure. And then every week they just sort of find ways to win. And it's like, <laughs> you know what? I think Jamie Chadwell's a pretty good coach. Like I think Grayson McCall's a freakishly good quarterback. And obviously they're without him, but they're just like a good program under Chadwell. And it's hard to default to them much. They're just they win a lot of games. They've won a lot of games the last three years. If they beat JMU, it's their third consecutive 10-win season. Even if they don't, they'll have another chance in the Sun Belt title, and if they don't get that one, they'll have another chance in a bowl game. So the odds are sort of, you know, in their favor, in their favor. I think. So they've they've got some chances, um, even though they might be underdog. Well, they are underdogs against JMU, pretty significant, and under I would assume they'll be underdogs in the Sun Belt title because the West at the top is is sneaky impressive. So. Interested to see how that all plays out, but um, they're good.
1: Yeah, I'm pulling up some stats to try and figure out to j- try and put into terms how good uh, this team is when they had Grayson McCall. They're a little different without Grayson and McCall. And of course, that's going to happen. You see, I mean, you you see what happens when JMU's without um, what's his name, Todd Santeo I'm Santeo. really bad at doing two things at once. By the way, um, who's that? Who's that guy for us who throws it around a little bit? Uh, you know, you know him, that, that one guy. Um, so they are seventh in the Sun Belt in passing yards, two thousand five hundred and seventy-six on the season. But they're one of the most efficient passing offenses in the entire nation. Um, and I think that's because don't they play like a variation of the triple option that incorporates yes. more passing? So it's a very read it's a very read heavy offense that relies on a good quarterback.
0: It's yeah, it's like a spread version of the trip. Like it's a phenomenally cool (laughs) offense that they run and McCall just like had it down as a freshman. Like, I don't know how he picked it up so early and like so well, but he's just been a stud whenever he's been healthy at Coastal for the last three years. So he's a really special player and a special quarterback. So not having him sucks because him against Santeo probably would have been like offensive player of the year battle. And obviously whoever finishes the top of the East battle. Um, but but without him, it's, it's going to be a tougher path for Coastal, especially because they're not they're not like an elite
1: defensive team.
0: And then offensively, they definitely relied a lot on McCall to to have sort of some clutch plays and, and lead them to wins.
1: Defensively, they're not good. They're 106 in the nation in expected points added. Um, I wanted you to guess though how many yards they average per attempt this season. They're first in the Sun Belt. I'll tell you that much. Passing, passing.
0: Yards per attempt, nine
1: and a half. 9.6. Wow, that's impressive. That's a darn good number. They are elite passing the football, truly. They have a negative EPA rushing the football, though, which is quite funny that they're like this triple Mm. option spread. But they're 75th in the nation rushing it. JMU rushing the football is, just for comparison's sake, 88th. So they're actually slightly better than JMU. They're also better than JMU in passing the football. Where JMU is better than them in every single facet is defense. is uh, the fourth-ranked unit in the nation, fifth uh, per play. They're first against the rush. They're 24th against the pass. Um, so JMU should have pretty good success against, against this coastal team that is without uh, Grayson McCall. We keep saying that. Who is their backup?
0: They've run out a few guys who have, like, taken snaps. Um, so I, I know that they they try to run it a little more with their backups. Uh, I forget exactly which game. I think, yeah, so he's only played in one game because the, the UVA game was canceled. Um, they had, I think, Guest was the guy who had the majority of their throws, but then Bryce Carpenter, uh, he threw a pass and then ran it a bit. I don't know if Carpenter was a, a trick pass or not. Uh, I think he's a quarterback too. So it sounds like they have a couple guys they might sort of toss in there depending on the situation. But I think Jared Guest is the one who who handled the majority of the passing uh, against Southern Miss.
1: I'm trying to I'm trying to read their statistics sheet and it is okay, there it is. Attempts very interesting way that they've Wait this out.
0: But he uh Guess specifically while you look up those Numbers really struggled against other Miss passing it he was 7 of 14 For a buck 63 so His completions went for a whole lot uh, But he had two interceptions no touchdown passes So he, he They hit some big plays through the pass game uh, but They certainly don't have the consistency And that's an area where Grayson McCall Like in his career is 70% Completion like he's been just absurdly efficient and i think that they might be lacking that which which obviously throws off their offense kind of a significant amount.
1: Yeah. They they don't have um completion and attempts per game. They just had attempts per game and attempt was a reception. So the last game they only had eight catches. Um but they ran it like 40 times. So Yep. That's what they're going to do. And they've ran it they've kind of done that since he got hurt like you said they had four, 45 in back-to-back games. I mean they they're going to rush it a lot even when they had McCall. That's kind of their they're bread and butter, so you hope that they stick to that. They stick to their guns because I think if they do pass, they might be able to kind of get J.M.U. cheating one way or another. Uh, but it'll be a really fun game. I'm really excited for it. I am I am too, though, very bummed Grayson McCall won't be playing because I think Coastal wins the game if Grayson McCall plays. I, I don't think they win if he doesn't play because I think this game – Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you think this game means more for JMU?
0: I think it means a lot more for Jamie, but I also think it still means something for Coastal. Um, the fact that they would finish alone atop the East, I think is still valuable. I think within the program, they still believe they have a chance to get the New Year's six bowl. Yeah. Which I don't think is is probably accurate. But I if think they they're win, probably yeah. I think they're telling themselves like, hey, we can win this one and then we would win the Sun Belt title. And obviously those would be two of like their biggest, if not the the best wins they have all year. If you have JMU and then what, it's probably South Troy. Alabama. I think it's Troy, right? With the one, because they beat South
1: Alabama. They did beat South Alabama win. I think so.
0: But I, I think they actually benefit more from South Alabama if Troy gets upset because South yeah,
1: Alabama is one of the best teams in that.
0: They're league. the best team in the conference. You're right. But I think it'll be it'll, Troy. <laughs> thank, you for,
1: thank you for letting me have that. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, mean, I it, think they're the...
1: Troy owns Whoever it head. is,
0: Troy owns either head of head. those team. I think Troy and JMU are better than whatever wins they have right now, right? So they yes. can make the case. The issue is JMU and Troy are also outside like the college football playoffs top twenty-five. So even if they might have them at twenty-nine in their minds, the playoff committee is weird about like top twenty-five wins and and all that nonsense. So I think it's going to be a tough path for them to actually get there. And then when you're a fourteen-point dog, that also doesn't help. So. I, but to answer your question, JMU is going to claim the East title if they win. It's their last game of the season against a team that's been like at the top of the Sun Belt in the last couple of years. So yeah, I think JMU is like, wow, this is massive for us. And Coastal's like, sucks, we don't have a call. And they're in the Sun Belt title regardless of what happens here. And realistically, they're not going to go to a New Year's Six. So I think internally, they'll probably say it's really important. I think their fans are probably still excited for it. But at the same time, I think there's probably a natural tendency to be like, Hey, we're already in the Sunbelt championship game.
1: I saw some coastal fans. I forgot what tweet it was somewhere where they're tweeting about, we can't let JMU win this because then they won't shut up about them being the Sunbelt East champions for the entire off season. And I chuckled to myself and I was like, yeah, you're you're right. You're not wrong. We will not, that will, that will be our calling card. Um, Now it's time for the three-notch preview. Reiterate some of the stuff we've already gone over. But overall, Coastal Carolina comes to Harrisonburg for the de facto Sunbelt East title game. Coastal will play the winner of the West Division, Troy, or South Alabama, regardless of the outcome of this game. But it's a big game for the Dukes as they look to win, quote-unquote, win the Sunbelt East their first year in the Sunbelt. And it's going to be a game that pits This spread triple option of Coastal Carolina against the best rush unit in the entire nation. But will be really interesting to see, even without Grayson McCall, whoever steps in at quarterback for the Chanticleers, how they'll be able to pass the ball. They're one of the most efficient units in passing efficiency in the entire nation. They're first in the Sun Belt in yards per attempt with 9.6. So they can carve you up if you get too complacent, if you get too sold on the run. And that, that's kind of an issue for the Dukes that we've been talking about all season. But Bennett, what is a key to victory for JMU to quote-unquote hoist the Sunbelt East title trophy, which I know isn't a real thing, but it's all JMU can win this season?
0: I think without McCall for Coastal, JMU's biggest thing is going to have to be avoiding those ridiculous mistakes that they actually have kind of a weird tendency to make in East games right within the East division <laughs> where app state, they had that weird meltdown that they rallied from Georgia state first half meltdown that they kind of rally from. And they, they've had some others, right? Georgia Southern was a ton of turnovers. Otherwise they probably win that game. Marshall, they struggled a lot. Obviously Sentea wasn't there. So that kind of explains that one, but other than old dominion, they've had some kind of sneaky sloppy performances against the Eastern division and it would be nice to see them come out and play a clean one because if they do, I think they have a better team than Coastal without Grayson McCall. So there's some advantageous matchups. You just have to show up and avoid those mistakes. Love
1: it. What's your prediction?
0: Oh, I put it in the newsletter, which will go out Wednesday morning. I think I had Jamie on a blowout. I think I said 38-14. to Wow. I think without McCall, they're going to be able to shut down the offense a lot, and I do think they're going to have one of those – those clean games that have been so hard to find during
1: East play. I think JMU wins 38-30. That would be fun to watch. I would sign up for that. Mainly because I think Jamie will have some mistakes. There's nothing that tells me they shouldn't. Fair enough. That wraps up the oh, football port.
0: Hold on. I want to get into the questions here cuz some of them make sense for this spot.
1: Oh, what what a beautiful what what a what a co-host.
0: Yeah, you know me. We got it from our our friends who work in sports, so they're like, I would say the questions are like borderline too good to even be on the podcast. (laughs) They're very inside baseball, and I love (laughs) them very much. Very inside baseball. (laughs) We'll start with Dom, and then we'll go into Harry. So Dom says, how big of a deal is potentially winning the East on Saturday? Do we celebrate as if we won a title, or is any significance just taken away because of ineligibility this season? Very good question.
1: What do you think? Yeah, I think you pull a Jacksonville State. Did you see what Jacksonville State did? No. Since they're ineligible because they're in the process of the transition, Uh they won their the Atlantic Sun, the A-Sun. Is that what they're in? I guess so. They created their own fake trophy, brought it to the game, and when they won, declared themselves the champions of the conference.
0: It is the A-Sun. That's amazing. So,
1: So I think JMU should do the same thing. I think they should have a fake trophy made up. And ready to hoist. And I know this isn't an actual. Like if you win the East. You don't get a trophy. But like. JMU should treat this as a bowl game. JMU should treat this. As winning the entire conference. JMU should treat this. Like winning the freaking Super Bowl. Because. I mean it's just an awesome accomplishment. And you shouldn't let it just. Wash by the wayside. As like nothingness. Which I know Dom's not saying. But I think. Maybe don't go as crazy as UCF did. um, Because that angered a lot of people and it made UCF like a villain for like a weird three year, four year stretch. And some people still hate UCF for what they did when they went undefeated. But I think you completely lean into it and, and you celebrate as if you won the East, you celebrate as if you won the title and you really live it up this off season and use you, you use it as a recruiting pitch.
0: Yep. I think that that kind of goes into my answer too with Harry's question next, which is in the same breath, how does JMU handle the branding on social Does it get edgy and jab at not being allowed to be champs? How does JMU capture this ultra impressive entrance to FBS to thrill its fans and create enough interaction so it's on timelines outside of the Duke's social bubble, which I think is a very good question.
1: Yeah, I think, do you want to take this one first and then I'll dive into it, or do you want to go first? I'll I'll do a quick answer,
0: sure. I'll, I'll say... I think that they should lean into it and kind of going back to, to Dom's thing where it's talking about the significance taken away. It is less significant, right? Because normally if you win this, you would play in the Sunbelt title. So the fact that they can't play in it, it's less significant. I think they should treat it like it's almost more significant. Like first year, this is the team that can't even play in it because of the, you know, FBS transition rules. To win it after having, you know, some of the the things that are hard to go through with the transition in terms of scholarships and all that stuff yeah, act like you've won, like piss off the other fans, lean into it. I don't know if Mu will get edgy from the social just because of like the department, but I think they they could get into it and they could be kind of edgy with it and not go, like you said, not go, um, you know, use full UCF, so to speak, but they should be excited about this because it's a huge deal and they should put it out there in a way that people know about it, right? You want the group of five writers from the athletic and, people of the Washington post and other local media to be like, Hey, this is pretty cool. And and tweeting about it and and letting people know who JMU is. Cause in the bubble, we know they have a really good team outside of that. I think they've probably gotten some quick attention from people for the top 25 ranking. And then maybe um, sort of gone out of people's minds
1: after that. Yeah. I think JMU social should really hype it up. Um, Really lean into it. Really go into we won the Sun Belt, and really play that whole thing up and talk about it from that perspective. Maybe this is then also getting way too much inside baseball, but the edgy and jabbiness of it, I don't think should necessarily come from the Jame branding itself. Like that's true. I don't think Jame you football should be tweeting. Let us in, let us in like, you yes. know, that meme of Eric Andre shit. I don't think you should necessarily tweet that, but I think you should let coach Signetti and the players have a little bit more freedom in their post game press conferences where if the questions pose, what do you guys think? about not like you guys just won this game th- assuming they win you guys just won this game like and you're not going to be eligible for a bowl this season like what does that mean to you guys let the players kind of out and be like I think it's kind of bullshit that the uh, that college football won't like that the NCAA doesn't let us do this like we we showed that we're capable like if we're capable we should be given the opportunity so I think the edgy and jabbiness should be taken up by the people by coach Signetti if, if he wants to do that on his Twitter if Todd Centeno wants to do that on his Twitter do that in your post game do it when you're going out to media I think the athletic communications department should let them be a little bit more open and be a little bit more free reign. I don't think that necessarily needs to come out from the Jamie. I don't think they need to make graphics that are like, let us in, we deserve a spot, like the true rightful champions. But if they make a a graphic that says Sunbelt East champions, by all means, play into that, have fun with that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's a fantastic point. It's just, it's sort of also paints a picture of how stupid the rule is. Like, I I know you don't want teams jumping up that, like, don't have the resources, but um, shouldn't you just be able to check that, right? Can't you, like, visit a campus and talk to people or look at financial statements and be like, they're clearly ready for this? Like, they did the car report in 2013 that said they were ready to move to the FBS, and they waited, like, nine years after that. They were obviously still ready, more ready to go. They've, They've shown they're good enough. So the NCAA having that rule in turn, it's going to cut short, in a way, the careers of, like, an Isaac Uku or a Todd Zinteo. Like, it'd be cool if they won, if those players had the ability to then play in a conference championship game, which they haven't had the chance to do because the CA didn't do that, and they wouldn't do it in the COVID year because they're like, no. And then they also um, can't play in a bowl game. Like, it's stupid. And the bowl games are fun for fans. They're fun for everybody. They're really fun for the players because it's rare you get to, like, a road venue or a neutral site venue days in advance and have all these like pre-planned activities like they usually do like sometimes teams will like go up against each other and play bowling against each other and have these fun activities and they'll like go shopping or whatever explore the town that they're I in love shopping
1: sounds like a well, blast
0: well sometimes they give you like a 500 hundred dollar gift card and they're like go to town depending <laughs> on what the thing is so it's like I don't think it's, it's probably less than 500 because if you do that for an entire <laughs> roster, my God, but it's like, they'll give you like a, a certain gift card or whatever. Let, let the players go and, and do things like it's fun to give them a chance to explore and, and have those experiences with their friends and teammates, especially for the seniors as their career college career is about to end. And instead they're like, we just want to make sure everybody's ready to transition when the NCAA could just do that work up front and let all the student athletes have like very meaningful experiences.
1: I also think if you got rid of this rule entirely and didn't even do that work, I don't think you're seeing like FCS schools. But, well, we want to go FBS now. Exactly. Right. Like (laughs) one, like there's so many facets. And and I don't mean to throw shade at some of these other schools, but like is Sam Houston State really ready in two years? Is Jacksonville State really ready in two years? Is Kennesaw State really ready in two years? Like they just jumped because they had the offer. But that's that's for and there's nothing that was stopping them. Um, but it's that's odd. for a different. One more, one more football question, but is not
0: on the actual team. But I figured we just knock it out now.
1: I was gonna. This is from this, this is from Big, big tasty. tasty. Big Tasty. <laughs> big Tasty.
0: <laughs> he asks us. We have a big question mark at QB going into next year. Very fair. <laughs> Are we in on any 2023 quarterbacks? We ought to be signing one a year. We can't be relying on the portal year in and year out. What are your thoughts?
1: I think, yes, you need to be signing one, maybe one a year, maybe one every other year. And I think that's about what they've done uh, dating back to the Mike Houston days. We can't be relying on the portal year in and year out. Yes, we can. And not necessarily year in and year out, but like we got Vad Lee for two years. And then Brian Shore was a transfer. And I, I know and different you type of years. transfer. dude you didn't let me get me through my lineup, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Danucci was then two years. Cole was the only homegrown talent we've had in the last lots of years. So like, yeah, 100% you can rely on portal. And there was a quarterback. Connor Mitch from, was a year. Don't even mention Connor. Mitch. <laughs> and, um, had an Arizona transfer with two years of eligibility on campus for the Georgia state game. Like you can rely on that. Um, you can't rely on bringing in Todd Senteos every year with one year of eligibility, but JMU has shown an ability to go out and get QBs with two or three years of eligibility. Brian Shore, I think, had three bring on for a year and then have him for two more. Um, I think you can rely on the portal. And I think the portal at this stage where you are as a mid major in the group of five, it's going to be rare you're going to get Cole Johnsons. And if we don't forget, Cole Johnson was bad before he got benched. Like, It's rare you're going to get a homegrown talent on your roster for a multitude of reasons. At the level JMU is, with the roster that is so good around that quarterback position, I think it's completely fair that you go out and you pick maybe an underperforming QB, a QB that got passed up on the depth chart or got buried on a depth chart and is trying to transfer. I think it's 100% fair you go out and you get one of those, one every two years.
0: I think so too. I think that's a, a great point. Sorry for interrupting your point, but it's it's well said. With <laughs> you the help build it,
1: you help build it,
0: and how they've they've done things with transfers, right? And I think the other thing that people kind of forget is like it's hard to recruit high school quarterbacks. Like there are so many levels of high school where like you're looking at a guy and like you don't know exactly what he's going up against talent wise, right? So maybe he's yes. going up against studs. Maybe he's cooking. against it's oh, wow. me. Against people that, that aren't that good, right? Because there have been multiple players in the program that Jamie fans have told us was like, this guy's a freak superstar. And then they're gone like two years later because it turned out they, they weren't a freak superstar and they were beating up on kids who weren't that good probably or they had really good teammates around them. When you get someone in the portal, so like Jordan McLeod was the Arizona transfer on campus, played two years at South Florida. And then he's he was at Arizona for like a year and a half, but he still has two years of eligibility left. That's a pretty good amount of tape. Like, it almost, like, (laughs) makes the recruiting process a lot easier, right? With Todd Santeo, like, you've got clips of him for four or five years playing college football. That makes it a lot easier than, like, how's the 18-year-old going to translate when you've got someone who played in the American and Jordan McLeod for multiple years. You can dive through all that tape and be like, we know how he looks against group of five FBS competition. So I think in a way that makes it almost like easier. So, and it's one where like, if you whiff on it, you've got other guys on your roster, likely some of those guys you recruited and you can try to find a way to make it work. But I th- I think it's, it's one where this is like the new era of college sports. You look at how like Jamie basketball has added some very impactful transfers. You kind of have to be really good in the portal.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've been really good in the portal for years. It's how they build up this defense. Yeah. Half that defense, it seems like – half that defensive line, it seems like they're transfers to somewhere. So I get what you're saying. Of course, we'd love to have Billy Atkins be the next best thing, Alonzo Barnett then to step in behind him after spending two years. But also, if you recruit a good high school QB and he doesn't get the start in year one or even year yeah. two – like this isn't the old years, and I sound like an old man saying this, but <laughs> – it's not like five, six, seven years ago where you bring in a a recruit, you redshirt him his freshman year, his redshirt freshman year. He sits behind someone redshirt sophomore year. He's in the QB battle. If he loses, he loses. And then you have his last two years, his junior and senior year, redshirt years. Like by that time that he's getting to his redshirt junior year, he's transferred. Like Cole Johnson is the exception to the rule. He And, and, Cole Johnson was fantastic. I'm so thankful he was there. He he tore up the FCS. He should have transferred, though. He should have gone to another FCS school the second they brought in Ben DiNucci. And like, it's rare that someone sits through that. Like nine times out of t- If JMU brings in a transfer QB, Billy Atkins is transferring. I can guarantee you that. I mean, probably if they don't bring in a transfer quarterback, he's transferring. And if they bring in a transfer quarterback, Alonzo Barnett's probably gone, too.
0: I think he would be interesting depending on who the guy was. Cause like, if you say you can still compete, so maybe he does it. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to like, please everyone. Cause you want depth at quarterback, like other spots, right. Where you have depth. So you have depth at running back. You can be the third running back and like get some legitimate run. Like Kalon black was arguably like the third running back to start the season. And he's a stud, right. Caught a touchdown pass against Georgia state played really well against ODU has had some huge games. They don't want to put in more than one quarterback ever. Like ideally you would only <laughs> like, it's the only position other than like kicker where they don't or long snapper. Right. And even holder.
1: kicker, Jamie, has two of them. Right.
0: <laughs> right. They don't want two quarterbacks to play. Like you want to have one star and you hope they stay healthy all year. There's no other position like that. Like cornerback. They're not like we have one corner and he covers seven receivers. Like it, it just doesn't <laughs> work like that. So it's, it's such a unique position that needs to be good that if they get one, who's great, like, it doesn't matter what you're doing in practice. Like Realistically, they're not going away from a guy who's proven they can score points with the offense. So it's it's a tough spot to be in and hard to recruit and things like that. But that's kind of why the portal makes some sense is you'll have someone who's like, hey, it looks like I could be the starter on your roster. I know I'm good enough. I have only one or two years left. Let me come in. And it's advantageous for the coaches to be like, yes, I would like yeah. that.
1: That's awesome. And I think bringing it into now segueing into men's basketball here, we'll do that with some listener questions and then we'll break down what we saw against UNC, both men's and women's, and kind of what to expect moving forward for both of them. We're over an hour, so I don't want to spend another hour talking about basketball, but we might end up doing it because there's so much to talk about. Um, Question one, I'll go with what are the odds men's basketball goes dancing from a conference championship or an at-large? Give me the percentages for both.
0: Okay. Conference championship, I'll put them at, like, 30%. You think that think, low? Yeah, because I think they're one of the best teams in the Sun Belt. I think my issue is that it doesn't go to, like, the regular season champ. So if you're talking about, like, did they say NCAA? Or the, yeah, they said, I assume they meant goes dancing would be NCAA, right? Yeah, they don't mean NIT. That'd be pretty funny, though, if they were, like, <laughs> dancing is, no, the NIT! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but like I think they can win the no the college
1: basketball insider tournament. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'd love to see him in that. I think we could win the thing.
0: <laughs> but I I think it's going to be hard just because of the single elimination format. Like you have a bad day and you can go from being the best team in the Sun Belt to to not dancing. From an at large, I would say one percent because I think they have to like win that out. So maybe like maybe like 0.5 percent. It's
1: that high. Wow. If
0: they beat like UVA and South Dakota State, I could I could get on board for them winning out. I would, I would be on board for that. But it's going to be really tough because the schedule's horrendous. Like horrendous. I think they're – here's what I'll say. I think if they were in the A-10, they would be good enough to put themselves like on the fringe of the bubble.
1: They'd be the next four out.
0: I could see them being something like that, or even like a little outside that, but like you could be in February and you could convince yourself they win like six straight A10 games that some special is going to happen. I could see them doing that, but like I can't emphasize enough how much the schedule sucks.
1: They play three non D1 opponents. That's sickening. And that right there takes them out of any at large conversation. Like, it's, they're playing three less games than every other team That's that's vying for an at-large bid And because of that It's going to make us think that their stats Are better than they are They're yes. averaging 105 points going into the UNC game They're not that good of an offense They're not that good of a shooting offense Like, they're good They're Sunbelt, great But they're not beat UNC, they're not at-large When you're comparing them against VCU Against Richmond, against other A10 Fringe bubble teams, Dayton's um, they compete with them, but, like, they're not jumping over them into the at-large conversation at this stage.
0: Because they don't have any game on here. Like, I'm, I'm looking at They don't at have Ken a quad
1: one game. They don't, they, they're they one yes. quad, they have two, yes. well, excuse me, excuse me. They do have quad one games. They have two quad one games in UA, at UVA and at UNC, but, like, they don't have any legit winnable quad one games or even quad two games.
0: Ex- right, so, like, looking at Ken Palm right now, The best wins they have available would be Virginia, highly unlikely. (laughs) South Dakota State, which is 127 in Ken Palm. Likely. And then Marshall's in the same ballpark at 124. And I think Marshall is highly inflated. They have a loss to Queens, but they had a couple of like blowouts and a good preseason ranking. But like, I don't know if they're the 124th best team in college basketball. Like there's, you can't have a resume, like you said, at the end of the year, missing three. Opportunities because they played non D ones, which just don't count for the committee, and then not having a good win, right? Like that, you can't get an at large with, like, oh, we didn't beat anyone good and we played a bunch of non D ones, just it just doesn't work like that. So, no at large,
1: yeah. Their only opportunity is to win the Sun Belt, which I'd give more than a 30% chance, but I see what you're saying. It, it's a conference tournament atmosphere where, like, we watch Jamie blow a 20 point lead against Elon. Um. So anything can happen. Um. His other question, and this brings us into what we saw against UNC. Yeah. Strickland comes, and Iannato gets back, or is he going to be a consistent point? Is he going to be? Is he going to be getting consistent minutes? I think he was originally in eating the minutes that needed to be eat up, ate up with Iannato out and with Strickland out. But now that he's performed and I was watching him against UNC, one of the more electric players and more active. And like when he came on, the, the team didn't miss a beat. I think he might be competing to take some minutes away from Strickland and Ianacho.
0: Yeah, this could have been a solo podcast. I think everything you've said tonight has been like entirely spot on. And that one is also <laughs> entirely spot on. Like he's good. He's, he's real- legit. You Like, way better than I expected. I was like, oh, they brought in some freshmen. But after last year when the freshmen, I think they all transferred. I think Byington didn't
1: expect this out of him. Yeah. He's
0: good. So, I, yeah, like like you were saying, I assume he would get some minutes the rest of the way. Obviously, Strickland and Iannaccio are good. But they're going to have to prove, like, that their level of post-injury is better than Brown because he's he's a really good player. And I guess we should get into the UNC game a little bit because they had some, some – yeah, go ahead.
1: Real quick though, I just want to say Brown is averaging 14.4 minutes. He's played all five games this season. He's eight of 12, not taking a lot of shots, um, but he's pretty darn good when it comes to assists to turnovers. Considering he's a freshman, he has 11 assists, eight turnovers, four steals, one block, and for a point guard, I think for a freshman point guard, I think that's pretty good and when he comes in for his 14.4 minutes, I don't have a plus minus in front of me, but I imagine it's a pretty good plus minus.
0: I was going to ask assist to turn turnover and you you took it right. I, I know you. Okay, I, now, I, you're on fire. This is like a perfect game.
1: I just couldn't get you down. I couldn't get you per 40 minutes quick enough. That's okay.
0: He's he's good. I'm excited about I'm really excited about the entire roster. I think the UNC thing that we have to talk about obviously, some of the what ifs. But I've also I've decided that with this team, and I want you to correct me if this is, if you think this is bad logic for me to take mentally the rest of the year, Uh-huh. but I, I've decided in my head that I want to only live in reality with this team because I've spent so much time the last few years talking myself into like these fictional storylines and these hypotheticals where I was like, <laughs> I was like, if Matt Lewis is healthy, we cruise through the CAA, we're in the NCAA tournament and we're scrappy. And then I was like, you know, if they were motivated last year, they're going to be scrappy. And I've decided that I'm I'm just not going to do what ifs. I'm not going to talk about if they'd hit their threes against North Carolina and they could have won. I'm totally locked in on they lost by 16. That's what actually occurred. And just whatever actually
1: happens is how I judge them. You mean you don't want to sit there and be like, well, if they made all of their field goals or if 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 Votto and and Fradell combined to shoot, just make half of what they should... No, well, I think they, with you. Had, if they I, had, they could have been so close. I, I think you're right. And I get what you're saying. I also think you need to take it with a little bit of like excitedness too. we're like, yeah, they lost that game. They struggled. They didn't look like at times the moment looked too big for them. There were points during their combat. their like mini run comeback in the second half. Byington wanted them to play a full court press, but the <laughs> Dean Smith center got into their heads. They looked up at the banners and they said, Oh my God, we're playing here. As Byington's yelling on the sideline, get back, get back, press, press. And they're all running like they're not here. Oh, we just scored a point. We're only down single digits to Armando Baycott and R.J. David. Like, like they're running back. And and so that, that gets off my larger point. They struggled. They looked they looked bad at times. But they also looked good. And there were moments where you're sitting there like, well, yeah, if they did hit their shots, if, like, they play an average game, They're in that game. I don't think they win even if Votto and Fridell like actually score what their averages are or shoot what their averages are. But I think it's fair to kind of take a little bit from both of those cups. They lost and they're not going to be a UNC caliber team this year. But also they play in the Sun Belt, one of the worst men's basketball conferences in the nation. And they look like at times over the course of those 40 minutes, they could at least compete with the Tar Heels which makes me think they'll be able to compete with the thundering herd. So I think you got to take a little bit of both.
0: I think that's fair. I would also say, I'd like to say, I saw some fans in the Jamie men's basketball mentions, kind of ragging on Noah Friedel. Those people can have off. He's a very good shooter. He's going to have a good season. He had the worst game of his career and he was upset during the game. Like he knew it was a bad game. You don't have to go on Twitter and be like, well, I didn't do it. He knows he did not show up. He went over eleven. (laughs) <laughs> he was like slapping the floor after misses he knows. And then the other thing that people were like, you know, that went out there and he went three of 17 and that's, it's like, we know who he is. We signed up for it. That's who he is. He's going to have games where it's like, Oh my God, he's not making anything. And he's got other games where it's like this man literally can't miss a shot. He's very streaky. It is what it is. He's you got to live with
1: it. Yeah. percent. I said, he's Caleb love. <laughs> yes. He's our Caleb love. Like when he's on, he is really fun to watch. And also with Fredell, like you probably didn't see this on the broadcast, but like Hubert Davis knows the scouting report. JMU, I think JMU fans and like not all of them, some of them are really smart, but I think some JMU fans genuinely think, well, we're JMU. They have no advanced stats on us. Who are we? (laughs) Like they don't know who we are. No, they have tape. They know who exactly. They know the scouting report. They see coming in oh, this Noah Fridell kid. He's a 40% shooter on his career from deep. Let's make life living hell for him. They put Leaky Black, one of the best ACC defenders on him. And every time Friedle would run a baseline, it was never a clear shot. It was always elbows into him, running through people, running around people. So not only is he getting, some of his shots were wide open, but they contested them earlier in the possession, if you know what I mean. Like they made him tired when he got there. He's out of breath when he's catching and shooting. And other times, he's contested by Leaky Black, who's not giving him a moment of separation, and he has to give it up right away. It's
0: you. Ha- okay. So you have post players, right? Who are just on both sides going at it. Like I know that Baycott got a 2020 game. It was not for a lack of physicality from JMU. Like they were attacking the man,
1: <laughs> they were um, assaulting him at times. You could hear the slaps when he would get the ball and then and you're like oh my god and you and where's the foul and we're like we're right there with you where's the foul on that (laughs) and some of it
0: off ball too so you got officials watching them trying to body him off ball you have officials watching the ball and then like you have those battles going on in friedel offensively and defensively there's physical stuff happening with him that i think just like wasn't noticed and it's stuff that that like if you're playing Buffalo and nobody really touches you and you run around a screen, you get a wide open three. That's very different than like getting beat up a little bit, like before you catch the ball. And he was like, it was, it was not like the, some of the shots were open, but it was sort of a battle. Like you were saying to get there. And I think that kind of went unnoticed. Was like, how is he missing these wide open shots? And there were times where I'm like, how is he, how's he still standing? Like it was, <laughs> there were some, some tough spots there for him. Yeah. I just hope this doesn't impact his confidence moving forward. Same. I hope he just keeps shooting. I hope they tell him. And the the players seem pretty positive toward him, but I thought like he was getting a lot of heat. And I think there are other players who are probably really upset with their performance who didn't get heat. I think Terrence Edwards is probably like the number one on the top of the list where he fell out and played like six minutes. Like that's tough. And I think he'll, he'll want that game back and he won't get much like fans messing with him on social media and neither player should have any fans messing with him on social media to be clear. But it's one where people are like, you see him getting all these open shots, which he kind of like worked to get open. And then people are like, you got to make those. And at the same time, other players, you know, probably had some performances that they would have liked back and they're taken. So I think it's, it's a team game. Um, but I, I do think, and I would love to hear your thoughts on my dumb take at North Carolina during the game um, and our, our transfer from Mount St. Mary's, Mezzi Offerum.
1: Oh, when we we're sitting there, we need a 6'8 guy who can create shots. And then we just look down at the court. Mezzi Offram like, catches it at the elbow, like, takes a dribble, finds his way in, has a beautiful lay in. And, oh, I think we just found our 6'8 guy who can create shots. Um, I was right there with you, though. So, in all fairness, I will raise my <laughs> right hand and say I was in on that take, too, because I really. And then we also were sitting there, we're like, well, if they're a 6'8 shooter who can create their own offense, they're not on JMU on UNC and their name's Caleb Love. Their name's Armand Baycott. Their name's not <laughs> a player on JMU. Uh, but I'm really excited for Mezoff for him and what he's going to do in Sunbelt play because what he was able to do against UNC when they like kept feeding him the ball there, he was going at Baycott. He was getting his shots to go down. Um, and I think he's the most consistent big man that they have who can put the ball on the court and dribble it in the paint because the body's yeah. athletic as, as anything. You give Amadi the ball and don't let him dribble it, he's going to slam it home. But if he has to dribble it, there's some issues that come. Um, but his his style of play will do really well in the Sun Belt. His style of play will do really well for the rest of the season except against UVA. Sule is a really good big body who's a defensive anchor who can get you a few points here and there and be solid. Ofram's one of the only big men that you can rely on getting the ball and he can create a little bit of space, do a little bit of movement, and lay it in and be consistent at that. Um, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be one of the focal points of the offense if they ever want to kind of build from the inside out.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I also think um, – I know Suley – I don't think Suley's gotten a ton of of this from fans, really. But I know some – there may be a little bit of frustration with him missing some some close ones and some stuff in the paint. He's shooting uh, 46% from two this year. Last year he was at 587 I think that's one that like is just a really small sample size and some of those are going to start going down. So I, I think there's more in the post than I was giving them credit for like while we were watching the game. Cause yeah, I was like, they got some athletic bigs, but they just can't score. And then you see like seven pivots from off rim and a fade away, like hook shot. And I was like, maybe I should watch a little closer. Like <laughs> he's a very good player and they've got some guys who can score. I think Morrison and Friedel are going to bounce back pretty significantly. And I'm excited for the rest of the season. I think it's, it's going to be a really fun team to watch. I'm kind of significantly bummed that the Sun Belt is not an exciting basketball conference. Because like, if this team was in the A-10, I would be more excited for this basketball season than I would have been for the football season, which has been incredible.
1: Do you remember my hot take during conference realignment? I liked your hot take. Yeah, please share it again. I'd rather have been in the A-10 and stay in the CAA than go to the Sun Belt. No, 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 I'm not. so fun! Like I love the Sun Belt. This has been a fun, 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 fun football season. Uh, But me personally, I just love college basketball and playing in one of the best mid-major conferences and reigniting rivalries with VCU and uh, Richmond and What if ODU came over to the A10? Something weird like that, which they wouldn't have because they would have just stayed in the Conference USA or gone to Sun Belt. I get that. Um, I thought that could have been fun, but Sun Belt. It is. Yay, we get to play Southern Miss.
0: Yeah. One more thing from this game. It's very fun to go to a high level basketball (laughs) environment. Yeah. Like just so much fun. Like the, at the beginning of the game, when all the like student section linked arms and they were swaying back and forth and there was a light show. Uh, That's called
1: swag surfing Bennett.
0: Swag surfing. Yes. There was a, um, a (laughs) light show. There was an incredible hype video. There was like a legit pregame announcement. Like it was just like, wow.
1: And and then like every media timeout, they'd have videos. It'd be like 47 first round draft picks, <laughs> seven national championships. And you're like, are they doing this to like scare the opponents? Because it's working. I'm 54 first team All-Americans. All right. I get it. You guys are good. I get it. We have none of any of these. I get it. They, they didn't say Carolina family a little
0: too much though. They're like Car Carolina family time to stand up. It was like just tell uh, them to stand up. I'm sick of the family nonsense. I'm sick of that guy sitting behind us. Let the white boy shoot it. Let
1: the white boy shoot it. I we just wanted fans. You got into a heated scuffle with a seven year old girl. For the listeners, this seven year old girl and I have nothing against seven year olds of any type, but this seven year old girl and I got into it a little bit the second she sat down. She notices my purple, not Bennett's purple, by the way, just my purple, turns around, glares at me, and goes, boo! And I'm like, all right, that's weird. Her parents will get her in check, I guess, and figure that out. Nope, for the rest of the game, every time I'd be like, yes! I'd feel her glare, and I'd hear her just go, (laughs) boo! All right. It
0: was... It was something, and the the final point that we can't move on without making. For those that watched this. the entire game, UNC throws an alley oop in the last thirty seconds. J up up sixteen to go like up eighteen. JMU throws it back down. I think Offerum dunk to cut it down to sixteen again. UNC fans started booing. <laughs> that was embarrassing. I thought I've lost a lot of respect for their fan base after that. Honestly. Yeah, it's kind of st- – you
1: started it. You can't We're just an it. Up, a, can't. up a billion. You can. You can. Left. Just don't boo when we yes. do it on the other end. Yes, you can't expect
0: that and be like, that was the last points of the game. This is how we wanted it to end. <laughs> we
1: wanted to be the last scorers. This is our house. This is our family.
0: <laughs> so for that, I've lost – yeah, I mean, they're dead to me. As a program, I mean, if we play them again, it's it's a rivalry in my mind.
1: Some of the Carolina fans were a little stupid too. Really basketball smart, but like hearing some of their comments, that's not a foul when it was like a blatant, just complete foul. And they'd watch the replay. They come on, ref, what do you see there? The the foul.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh, let's just say there were a lot of people there that were not Carolina grads who were rooting for
1: Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, That's, hit what on this. That's what we should have done.
0: That's we should have done that we need to do is we, we should have turned around and be like, what year did you graduate?
1: Oh, well, not uh, <laughs> part of the family. Um, real quick, before we move on to women's basketball expectations, we kind of hit on it with what the, the year will be in terms of getting into the big dance with the conference tournament or whether it's an at-large. All overall expectations, do you expect them to kind of just breeze through the Sun Belt? Do you think there'll be teams, maybe like a Marshall, who will be better than what we expected? Southern misses 4 and 0 to start the season. Maybe they're a little bit better. Like, what are your expectations?
0: I think even ODU has got a pretty good team where they almost beat Virginia Tech, they beat Furman, and then they we almost
1: beat line. UNC, though. Come on, man. That's so true. That's so true. We were one so three point some... away from cutting it to six. <laughs> that actually was true. Yeah. There,
0: <laughs> there's, um, There are some teams that I'll be competitive. Like I don't see Jamie like going undefeated in Sunbelt play, but I still think they're one of the best teams in the conference, if not the best team. So they're going to have a a fighter's chance going into March, assuming they're reasonably healthy. Um, I'm just worried a little bit in the near future. You got a coastal Georgia team that is just scrappy as all heck. Um, All right, Ben started right talking
1: there. about non D1 teams. <laughs> we're moving on to women's basketball now. They just dropped a tough one 76 to 65 at home against number 13 UNC. For a while there, though, it looked like JMU was going to have the Tar Heels on a upset watch. They were up at halftime, um, they were looking solid, and they were competing really well against the Tar Heels. But then UNC hung 20 on them in the third quarter, outscoring them by 7. They hung 26 on them in the fourth, outscoring them by 8. And that was all she wrote, folks. And the Dukes lost it by 11. UNC was led by Deja Kelly, who dropped 22. Eva Hodgson dropped 18. And Alyssa Utsby dropped 15. And the Dukes, they were paced, of course, by Kiki Jefferson. Peyton McDaniel, though, is killer. Dropped 17, 6 of 13 of shooting. And Hazel, a tough 4 of 11 from the floor, was the only other Duke in double figures, and those were the only three Dukes that really did anything. I will give
0: Hazel some props because she had to play point guard because Caroline Germain was out with injury, had three steals, three assists, turned it over five times. But I feel like she hung in there reasonably, given the circumstances. O'Regan seemed pretty pleased with it, even though she she missed some shots. So I'll, I'll give her some props there. I think the, the biggest concern is that you have Kiki, uh, Peyton McDaniel, and then Hazel and they go out and they score 58 of your 65. I mean, like somebody else has to give you something.
1: And Claire Neff goes, Oh, of eight. Yeah. Oh, of eight
0: from three. That's kind of hard to swallow. Cause the rest of the team was uh 10 of 21 from three. So, like, you, you've got to knock some more of those down and and get some performances there. I think Claire will probably come around. But, obviously, they've got the Texas transfer who will become eligible at some point in December. Jermon, uh, the starting point guard, wasn't out. So, there's some stuff there that I think you can look at and be like, all right, especially a halftime lead. So, I'm I'm way more excited about them maybe than I was after the main loss. But it's also one where, like, Kiki's a stud. Like, she's so good. She's a star yeah. performer. You got to get something out of this year. You have to. She's too good to have her come through the program and, like, not make an NIT run or at least make the NCAA tournament. Like, you have to have something in her veteran years that is meaningful, I feel like.
1: Yeah, it seems like my last little takeaway on this game, and you mentioned it, is that they just need more from their role players. You have a really great one two punch in Kiki Jefferson and Peyton McDaniel, but then. You have no one else. You're, I, I can't pronounce your name. Kozlova? hmm Kozlova is o for 4 from inside the arc, and I assume those are all, like, paint lay-ins or, like, layup attempts. And you, you can't hit a single one, and you only finish the game, I think, with two points in 31 minutes. Um, you need more out of a big man. Like, what was so lethal about those Dukes teams with Precious Hall and with Kamaya was they had Kayla Cooper-Williams. Or like really good interior presences that like either we're going to get you ten points and ten rebounds, or they're going to get you twenty rebounds and kick it back out and keep possessions alive. Seems like the Dukes have been kind of lacking that, but they just need better play out of their role players. They need they need to not have a player go o of eight. They need to be able to hit some shots. But I think the ceiling for this team is pretty solid, considering the Sun Belt. Much like men's basketball in women's basketball is not much better. I don't think they have – I mean, they don't have a shot really at large. Um, their best game might be – I have no idea what women's basketball, what their best game will be. But I don't think they're an at-large team. Their best chance, their only chance is to win the Sun Belt, which I think is completely possible. Um, it's it's going to be like any year in the CAA.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and looking back at like that, that year, I guess it was when COVID hit in the spring, but when they oh played my God, Maryland. If you bring they,
1: this up one more time, that they would have been on a final four team. No, 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 no. I'm
0: not I'm not doing that this time. <laughs> that the the year when they had Maryland on the ropes and then blew it. Yeah. Which was that year. Uh just looking at the box score from that one, Kiki had sixteen, which which led the team. So like again, crazy that like Kiki's been that good for that long and is still not played in like anything meaningful, which some of that isn't out of their control with COVID and the CAA rule, but it's still disappointing. But they had at least – they had seven players in that game who scored at least six points. So they almost won that game, and it was just a really balanced attack where they had a bunch of players step up. You mentioned Kayla Cooper-Williams. She played 37 minutes in that game. She was four of eight with eight points, had four rebounds, but she also blocked four shots, like just a really complete performance. Lexi Barrier uh, did a nice job on the glass and scored a little bit, even though she was kind of cold shooting. But they were also, at that time, they were way more elite defensively, and a lot of that was Cooper Williams. But when they were at their best at these elite defenses, and some of the recent teams have not been as good. So if that's the case, which isn't the end of the world, yeah, you're going to need more than like two scores, right? Like if your defense isn't where it was, where you were locking teams down, even like top ranked teams, then you're going to need significant improvement in terms of finding a third and a fourth, and a fifth scoring option. Like you're going to need three players in double digits and a couple more that get darn close.
1: Yeah. They have a good ceiling. It's just not like best in the country or like a top 25 high, like in past years where they had receiving votes. This is a top three team in the Sun Belt, I think, that will be competing for the Sun Belt tournament. But I think that's their ceiling. I agree. Well, do you want to wrap up things with Sunbelt Pick'em?
0: Let's do a little Sunbelt Pick'em and a quick, quick, huge shout out to volleyball. They're making the big dance and they have the selection show Sunday at 730 on ESPNU.
1: Yes, sir. They're doing really well this season or they did really well and they're ready for it. I'm going to need you. And by that, if you possibly could go back whenever you have a free moment. I will do that. I will do that this week. Um, I think we missed a Sun Belt pick a week or two ago, too. Um, we so we haven't been on top of it this season. It's not the same as our CAA weekly pick but it's – you ready for this? Oh, yeah. South Alabama is a 16-point home favor against ODU this Saturday. Who do you got?
0: South Alabama, and I kind of hope Troy gets upset because once you meant, mentioned that, it just made me sad because I forgot that South Alabama – was still like kind of in the mix for the West and they're definitely the best team in the entire conference. So I hope they, they
1: get a shot. I'm on South Alabama too. I've been on my boys since the jump. thought they were going to pull off that upstate against UCLA, but alas, Georgia state at Marshall, Georgia state out of bowl contention after their loss on Saturday against the Dukes marshall they're seven and four four and three in some belt they are both eligible and they are six point favorites over under is set at 45 who do you got
0: that's an interesting one i think marshall they sort of i think they won three of their last four they seem like they're trending in the right direction so i'll say yeah. marshall finds a way to win defensively
1: i think marshall too um georgia state i think might be a little bit defeated a little bit kind of just the wind let out of their sails for that cliche after what happened in, in harrisonburg marshall's the best defensive unit in the entire Sunbelt eh? maybe not maybe not better than Jamie but they're up there Um, so I think Marshall just shuts down Darren Granger and company and they win that one with ease Troy at Arkansas State Troy is a 13 and a half point road favorite you said you wanted the upset are you gonna pick it here
0: I am I'm gonna say Arkansas State wins this game this is a pick solely out of what I hope occurs Troy realistically is gonna win this game and be coastal and then be the Sunbelt champion but South Alabama is the best team in the Sun Belt. So let's go with Arkansas State.
1: It sucks because Troy is a Hail Mary away from being 7 and 0 in Sun Belt That's play. That's true also. That is and also. And this true. game being like not meaningful at all. Um I have Troy winning this one for that exact reason. They are a Hail Mary away from being 7 and 0 in Sun Belt play. They are a Hail Mary away from being 10 and 1, probably in the top 25 and being the favorite of the Sun Belt to get to the New Year's 6. An app state season has crumbled away terribly, and that is just a terrible loss when you look back on it. Troy is kicking themselves for losing that game. Troy wins. Southern miss UL Monroe. Southern miss your boys. What happened? Five and six, three and four in Sunbelt. They are three point favorites though against UL Monroe.
0: You never want to blame officiating for four conference losses. But you're going to? I'm going to. I think in this case, and I didn't watch the games officiating play a huge <laughs> role in their losses i'll say they'll win this one and they get bowl eligible and the sort of the country bands together to watch them play in their bowl game and realize is this probably the like best?
1: the probably like the o'reilly auto parts car care bowl or something like. yeah that. i'd like to see them in that i think they would represent well in that <laughs> <laughs> um i'm on southern miss too just because i think they're a better team than ul monroe um, I don't think UL and Rose are good. Plus, I want to see Frank Gore Jr. get over a thousand yards rushing this year. He's at 854, so he needs what 156 to get there, 146 to get there. Um, he can do that, which I think he'll do. I think he'll run all over ULM. And uh, let's get to let's get Frank Gore Jr. over a thousand yards. Let's start that trending on Twitter. Louisiana at Texas State. The Raging Cajuns are five point road favorites. Who we got?
0: I like Texas State here. They've been close in some games. They've been close in some games. They're at home. I'm not overly impressed with Louisiana. So I actually like Texas State here.
1: Texas State does have the leading passer, leading rusher in this matchup. Uh, Louisiana does have the better ride receiver in Jefferson with 729 yards on the season with 45 receptions. I'm going to go... With Louisiana just to be contrarian to you. I liked your points on Texas State. And I think it's I think it's a little fishy that Texas State is a five point home dog. Uh, but Braging cages they're five and six, three and four in Sunbelt. They sh- they should win this game. Maybe. App State, Georgia Southern. App State is a four and a half point dog. I don't like that. Georgia Southern's
0: let me down. They've lost three in a row. They're pissing me off, but I'm picking Georgia Southern. This game's actually semi-interesting because of the two FCS app thing. So the winner makes a bowl and the loser would not. get relegated be- to the FCS. That's exactly right. <laughs> they don't initially make a bowl, but apparently there's so many bowls that there are going to be teams that aren't six and six that are going to end up getting in. So like they'll probably end up both in a bowl anyway, which is just so stupid. Um, but I'll say Georgia Southern wins this one. Clay Helton gets them to six and six and he gets a Gatorade bath, parades around like he won a Super Bowl.
1: Yep. Georgia Southern. I'm all in on them as well. I think Georgia Southern. Despite their three-game losing streak, is a good team. Maybe that's just because they beat JMU. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're playing for bowl eligibility. That means a lot at this time of the year. App State, though, is also playing for bowl eligibility as they are technically five and five in the eyes of the bowl committee. Who, who do they take first? App State at six and five with two FCS wins, or JMU, who's ineligible?
0: They should take JMU because they
1: beat them. That's I like how works. And the last game, Coastal Carolina heads to the friendly city to take on the Dukes of James Madison. Noon kick on ESPNU. JMU is a 13 and a half point favorite. Do they win? Do they cover?
0: JMU 38 to 14. This is going to be a resounding game, a big statement win. And I think the entire nation turns their heads towards Harrisonburg at noon. And they say, we're sick of Ohio State, Michigan. Let's watch a little fun belt action. And the boys, they show up.
1: You want to hear some fun facts? Yeah. With Grayson McCall out, JMU now is holds, JMU now has the passing yards leader in this game, the rushing yards leader in this game, and the receiving yards leader in this game. Wow. Does that shock you at all? Does that matter to you at all? Mm, no. No. Okay, good answer. Jamie wins this game. What did I say? 38-30 earlier. Jamie wins. I don't think they cover, but I think the Dukes win a thriller. Hell yeah, brother. All right. Well, anything else you want to add? No. This was a, a long
0: pod, but it was a fun pod.
1: Whew, it was a good one. We had to recap everything that happened. We got on a couple um a couple tangents, a couple soapbox. We got fired up about a few things, but we're ready for Saturday coastal. JMU and a good one on ESPNU and uh, we're excited for what basketball is going to bring both on the men's and women's side can't wait I'm so excited for Coastal Georgia man until next week y'all have a wonderful rest of your night your day whenever you're listening see ya